0: Hi, I'm Tommy Lindstroth, and I beat the often path by automating sustainability for the construction industry.
1: Why should every building be green? Well, not in color, but you know what I mean. Buildings, both commercial and residential, account for about 40% of annual CO2 emissions. It's an enormously wasteful industry ripe for innovation, but how do we bring about this new era of eco buildings? Well, my guest today is Tommy Lindstroth, the CEO of Green Badger, an SAAS platform for automating sustainability. They make it much, much, much easier for construction professionals to build sustainably. It's a clever approach to an important sector that we don't often think about. Oh, and these buildings, can dramatically lower your monthly energy costs as well, so you'll benefit individually. It's an incredibly cool concept. Joining us now is Tommy Lindstroth, CEO of Green Badger. I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. Welcome to the show, Tommy. I wanted to say, I, I came across your profile because I was trying to find something for my IAQ and ESC meeting, you know, for my OSC, for my OAC to get LEED certification to meet my ESG goals. Uh... Those all mean things, right?
0: I think you left a couple acronyms out there, but we can probably make some up here.
1: VOC. (laughs) i got to make sure my VOC products are scanned. So what are we talking about here? What are all these acronyms?
0: All these acronyms are various sustainability components of the built environment or very specific to uh, the construction industry as they're trying to incorporate sustainability. So they all reference either product attributes or types of inspections or types of best practices that the construction industry should be considering or are actually implementing throughout the course of uh, building a house, building a building, building an airport, whatever they might be working on.
1: Well, we, We say the word should, but wouldn't it be better if they just ignored all of that and just did nothing or did things the way they've always been doing them?
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. You should never progress, never move forward, and never change your brain. hey. Sit on your hands, and life, ignorance is bliss, right? Life yeah, is that's the American the dream. And we're off to the races.
1: Everything we've ever done was perfect up until now. Everything <laughs> we have as an idea that's now is worse. That's my general philosophy in life. Uh, I'm sure you share that belief, though.
0: Unfortunately, that doesn't work for my, uh, my business model here. So I need okay, things to change. Right, and right, in so fact, we, we the more to... they change, the better it is for me
1: okay so what is the problem what's going on because construction we have a dim understanding that it's a very wasteful place a lot of stuff it's a black hole sometimes so how did you end up in this particular niche as it's called and why did you make this particular product
0: sure so constructions it's interesting and it's you know i've 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 seen it firsthand for a, a number of years a lot of times you drive by a construction project and you see a big fence go go up and you don't really see what's going on behind the scenes until at the end of the day there's a big building and everyone's like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Um I actually came you into get yelled it, at so by I'm, people with
1: hard hats from sometimes.
0: Exactly. the best. most often your experience is them holding a stop or a slow sign as they're having yeah. a train coming across uh, a crane coming across the road, and you're just like, well, I'm just trying to get to the grocery store, I'm just man. Trying to get to the I actually actually came into it from uh, the opposite side. I actually started my career in real estate development. So I worked for a development company here in Savannah that did commercial projects throughout the Southeast. We did all sorts of fun stuff being in Savannah, like historical preservation projects, but we also did affordable housing. We did shopping centers. We built McDonald's uh, office building really, really ran the gamut. And the the interesting thing for us was that we had committed that we were going to do that all as sustainably as possible. We wanted those buildings to be green. Uh, the company felt that way just as an ethos, but we also thought it was a very strong business case. It made us have unique products on the off, on the market. They were cheaper to operate. They had lower operating costs. Uh, and frankly, you had a lot of uh, progressive brands that found that very attractive. So it actually could make those spaces easier to lease. So I lived really on the owner side where we could dictate what we wanted. We wanted these materials. We wanted these products. We wanted things done this way. Um, and people kind of looked at us crazy back then. That was almost 20 years ago. And then certainly in the Southeast, you know, people wow. are like, you're building green. What did you do wrong? Like, why, why are they making you do this? You must have really screwed something else up in the past. Yeah, that's your,
1: part of your punishment, your community service for <laughs> exactly. a greater crime committed, committed at green, an earlier yeah. date.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, fortunately for me, I was the director of sustainability. Um, I've been, had sustainability really in my, in my bones for a long time. you uh about 20 years actually, ago? That was 20 years ago, but it started you know I think when I, I didn't first think know back they to had sustainability. that title then they didn't well that was one of the first back like my degree wow. was in environmental studies it, you didn't okay. hear the word sustainability until right. it became a buzzword a little bit later but for us I mean that's it meant impressive. the same thing right It was making money, but you can do it while doing things that are good for your community and good for good for the planet
1: but see that's a novel idea um I disagree with that premise. I mean what you can make money while doing things that are good for people on the planet. No, come on, that's impossible.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And I look, I look back because people always ask, how did I you know, sort of get interested in this? And and there were two things. One was when I was a kid, we went to all the construction sites because they were building all these houses up out where we lived, and I'd go through all their their dumpsters and pull out all of their soda cans uh, and take them in and recycle them. And you get twenty bucks as a kid, it's like, oh my gosh, it's heaven on earth. You know, you go hit that candy aisle and you're coming home a, a rich man. And so no you know, that's kidding. the earliest instance. I wasn't doing it because I cared about recycling or cared about the environment at the time. I did it because I wanted that one of my pocket full of candy. Right. Uh, but in the end, you know, it's the same thing. I made money and it was actually doing something good for the environment. And that sort of set me on a on a path that I'm still on here today.
1: That's so cool. So you were very industrious from a very young age. Um, what put you, when you studied in school, what put you onto these concepts or where did you realize that there was an issue and where did you get the sense that you could potentially do something about this issue?
0: So the issue really grew on me while I was in college. I went to the University of Wisconsin in Platteville, which is in the Southwest portion of the state. I'm from Racine, Wisconsin, which is on the Southeast side. So I had a nice three and a half to four hour drive. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, I grew up in, in sort of suburbia, but I grew up playing in the farm fields and the woods. And every time I came back from college, there was less and less of it. And it was just another copy and paste subdivision was going up. And I was like, man, this, these places I played in as a kid are going away. I gotta, I gotta learn more about this. So I was a junior at the time, so I, I couldn't do a full major shift, but I picked up a minor in environmental science and really had some classes on resource conservation that opened my eyes to, to what's going on out there. And it became a passion. And so I came out, couldn't get a job with a minor, so <laughs> ended up uh, working, doing some business marketing. And after about a year of that, I was like, man, my heart is just really, I, I got to figure out what it is I want to be doing because it's not this. It's got to be something with, with preserving, maintaining the environment. And so dropped everything, moved from uh, Chile, Racine, Wisconsin. One of my criteria, I was—I had ankle <laughs> surgery and I was on crutches and I was hopping scraping my car in the middle of winter. I was like, man, I don't know where I'm going to go, but it is going to be warm and I'm not going to be scraping my car anymore. So ended up going to Charleston, South Carolina, attended the the College of Charleston where I got a master's of environmental studies and it was a a multi-disciplinary approach. So I got a lot of policy. I got a lot of science and put those things together and um, came out of that really with a strong focus on um, climate change and how, how you can address that at really a local level through uh, business operations, through municipalities. And honestly, thought I was going to be in the nonprofit sector coming out of there uh, based on partners I had on my thesis. And then fortunately, and fortunately, hopefully, fortunately, ended up uh, working at the development company as their director of sustainability, which took me on the, the for-profit path, um, which gave me a good exposure of, you know, with, I love nonprofits. We work with a ton of them, but sometimes they get perceived as is sort of yelling at you to do something different and you should be doing this because i'd say so at the on the business side it's like we just put 30 million dollars into this because we think it's the right thing to do and people tend to listen to you a little bit more because it's like we are we're heavily invested like we believe this we are we are putting a lot of effort to show that we think that this is the right way to do it and we're going to make money doing it and um and it got it got a lot of interest and that really helped set the bar for how some of these developments could be done that's amazing. So you went to a lot of school for this. So do, can you pinpoint
1: the exact moment in time in your schooling when you were brainwashed? Was it just a specific day or was it more of a gradual thing that happened? Uh, because so the again, first, the first day at
0: orientation, they give you this, this mystery juice and they don't tell you what it is. And it is, it's bottoms up. And from then on out, you know, and you're, then from you're, then on, you're, you're like, Hey, we your lips are stained green. And you know, that that's it.
1: You know, but you you touch on an interesting point. There's a few things that I think are very interesting about this, a practical side of this industry and uh, let's say the more preachy side. And I think there are two sort of factions that are happening at the same time. And that's a, that's an interesting point. Like, on the one hand, if I purchase an apartment, you've made sustainable apartment buildings, a small or a Fellwood, sustainable Fellwood, and sustainable Fellwood, too. If I get an apartment, of course, I like the idea of having lower energy costs because it's more efficient, or the, the heating is better, the cooling is better, it's solar powered. There's a lot of advantages on a practical level. We don't like people yelling at us and telling us what to do. And we're in this interesting place, I think, politically and also with just the world, where some people feel very put off by being yelled at about some of these issues like climate change. And they get very bothered by people who bring it up. But on the other hand, there are certain practical aspects of this that everybody seems to appreciate. And that does seem to be, to me, very popular have you experienced that? And like you said, when you put your money where your mouth is, you see things a little differently. So, what what have you experienced in terms of pushback or embracing of these concepts in your career?
0: So, what, it's, a, it's like you just said. It's one of those things. Nobody. Do you want to have a an inefficient, unhealthy building? Is that where you want to live? Right? No doesn't make any sense, right? Call it green, call it efficient, whatever you want. To me, a lot of it's about the messaging. And I, you know, I'm a firm believer in climate change. And, you know, I think uh, I've spent a lot of time on it. But if you don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to change your mind. I mean, that's the thing, right? You're, it is political. Right. You're either you're on one side or the other. So I can, you can that's yell true. at me and I can yell at you or, or we can change the, change the frame of it. And it's, to me, I did that a long time ago and it was, I didn't want to argue about it, but I could tell you that, look, do you, Want to have your lower utility bills? Do you want to save money? Do you want to be in a high performance, healthy building or a low performance, unhealthy building? Do you want healthy air quality? Like when you frame it like that, I mean, I don't care. All of those will result in lower greenhouse gas emissions. But it's also going to give you these other things that you will appreciate and benefit. And and who cares if if I'm wrong and it's not and climate change isn't an issue, but you still have a healthier building and are spending less. That's still a good thing. Right. (laughs) Right. Like hopefully maybe, maybe maybe that's what it takes. I don't know. Well, I'm more and more inclined
1: to agree with you because the internet has shown us that those arguments are meaningless and that you can, they can go on forever. You can type and type and type on Instagram, on Twitter, and you're not really getting anything done at the end of the day. But I think the way you've done it is a much smarter approach. So let's take this example. A, a while ago, there's the show called Adam Ruins Everything, where he talks about these types of concepts and ruins. And one of the premises of one of the episodes that he said was that A lot of people who buy a new electric car, it's actually more wasteful to buy a new electric car than to go back and buy a used internal combustion engine regular old car. Uh, Basically, that a lot of people, the premise is wrong. So do you think it makes sense then for every building to be updated to be more energy efficient and more compliant with these new standards? Or is that cost greater than the potential savings of updating a building or a home or whatever?
0: Well, as with everything, it depends. The fundamental issue tends to be that the people who benefit of the utility savings are not the people who actually own that house or that building, right? So you're asking a landlord to put a bunch of money in and see zero financial results. You know, I'll give an example. One of my... One of my former employees, because we we benchmark our environmental footprints and all that stuff. And so since it was work for home, we said, you know what, let's look at our home energy use. And, you know, she had the smallest house. Uh, She was young, you know, out of college. And compared to, you know, I've got a family with kids, other employees do too. And, you know, they've got bigger, bigger houses. And she by far, because she was renting this old house in Savannah, Georgia, that had no insulation and no air sealing, have like triple to quadruple the energy bill that anybody else had, right? And it's like, my God, I can make, you know, my new house there, there make one new house and it can be totally off the grid. But if there's a hundred of these leaky old houses that are just sucking up resources, it's like that that is a problem you got to address. And this poor person was paying three hundred dollars a month in in electric bills, and I'm paying forty dollars a month. Like that's not that's not cool.
1: You know, these numbers are so low from California. I love that $300 is considered high. I'm out here in a suburb of Los Angeles. 300 would be the absolute lowest that anybody <laughs> has ever considered paying for electricity. That would be like, oh, my God, what a cheap month And it that's is another up. reason
0: you see more progressive stuff in California than you do in Georgia. It's too cheap. It's so cheap here that people don't have the it's incentive. to
1: waste. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That's an interesting point of view. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, okay, so you get into this line of work, you recognize these problems through extensive study, you've been on the investment side, and then you decide to build this. Building. But again, it's a very we, we threw out a bunch of acronyms. Again, we, could, we should probably shed some light on what some of those things mean, like IAQ, ESC meetings, all of that. Um, but what was then your thought of, okay, people are trying to become compliant, but they don't know how to become compliant. What is this uh, lead certification? Where did that come from? And how did you recognize your specific path in this because to me, it's very narrow. I get it when I see it, but it's just so narrow that it's hard to imagine that somebody's just sitting there flipping through a book and saying, that's what I want to do with my life.
0: Sure. Well, after doing it for the development company, and we use LEAD, which is uh, an acronym, it is Leadership in environment, Energy and Environmental Design. And it is a third-party certification from a group called the U.S. Green Building Council. And so it allowed us as a developer to say, look, we're not just telling you it's green because we put in one good light bulb. Like we actually have a third-party verification, you know, like JD Power for your car, right? You want to see that stamp that your car is safe and all this good stuff. LEED basically does that for a building so that we can communicate to the market that we actually did these practices. And so we use that as our benchmark. It's actually widely used any almost any publicly funded building any federally funded building requires it two-thirds of states require it 95 percent of fortune 100 companies required so the industry has basically adopted this as their uh, check mark for their buildings and so it's built an industry around it and so I moved into from development into being a consultant and helping others implement these standards and what we found is it was a lot like uh, after you get through the initial slug, there's a lot of accounting basically. And you and you become an accountant and you're tracking and you got a box of receipts from your construction over three years. And then you've got to fill out your 1040 for your taxes just right and hope that you don't get audited. So lead certification is sort of the same way. You've got to track all of these processes and practices that go on at these crazy job sites for years uh, and then hope that you don't screw something up. Because if you don't, that point it's a contractual obligation and you know then you get sued and litigated damages so there's 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 some consequences for screwing up sounds like a lot of fun everybody myself included was doing this by hand in these big crazy spreadsheets and it's like my god the the opportunity for error was just so huge and so really i just started looking for a solution for myself in the 15 or 20 projects i was working on and there wasn't one and so then i started looking at well what could we do to try and make this process easier that we could do it Well, I'm at a job site just so that you can know, is this can of paint healthy or not healthy? You can scan the barcode. So we actually built a little prototype that you could just scan a barcode on a can of paint and it would say yes or no. And once we had that, it's like, my goodness, if we can do this, you know, we can manage IEQ, which is indoor air quality. We can manage all of the materials. We can manage ESC, which is erosion control, the, the orange fence you see around the perimeter of a job site. And we can take away these clipboards, these manual inspections, these massive spreadsheets that get tracked for years, We're, our software is being used on LaGuardia, which has started, you know, no a, way. almost eight years ago, right? And it's going for another like three more years. And can you imagine tracking ten years of construction in a spreadsheet after hundreds of people have came and joined that project and left that project? And you know, it's it's just a nightmare. And so that sounds
1: like the worst thing I can possibly come
0: <laughs> right. So we built what is basically a TurboTax for lead certification. It's just one central platform that was a very acute headache that I had that I was living in. And I wanted that headache to go away and there was no, no Advil for it. And so pivoted from consulting. Once I had the prototype and said, look, I'm on 20 projects a year. We could be on 2000 projects, 20,000 projects. Like let's, let's get this to the industry. Because as I mentioned, like for our contract, the contractor, the construction community, this is not optional at this point. Like if they get a project that has this, it's in their, document it's in their it's in their contract they've got to do it and they can either spend hundreds of hours tracking all this stuff in spreadsheets or they can use a software solution to try and automate it and so really that's that's where we found our sweet spot to try this is a headache that a lot of a lot of people have that's brilliant so when you talk about scanning
1: these products does that mean you have a massive database of hundreds of thousands of products and did you have to build that manually
0: yeah, We built it manually and through some partnerships with some of the manufacturers and some of the certification agencies that are out there. And now we continue to continue to do that as well as we crowdsource now our project teams. If they find something that's not in there, they can post it up for review and we can say, yes, that looks good. Let's approve it and put it in there. But it did. It, it took a while, took a while to get, I can get it up. imagine,
1: Especially if somebody uses a weird neon spray paint, you say, oh, well, <laughs> that's not in there. Uh, it's also horrible. So uh, what a brilliant concept What are some of, at a high level, what are some of the most important things to make a building become LEED certified? What are some of the most critical components there?
0: So LEED is good because, you know, back when I was starting out, the only thing I ever thought about was, was energy efficiency. And that's a huge component of this, but it makes you think of other things like, how are you siting the building like where is it does it have access to transit does it have you know ability to to infiltrate stormwater on site or are you just schlepping it all off into the drain so you know it really makes you look at site constraints it makes you look at the water efficiency of the building how much irrigation if any is required certainly the energy is a big component um, really where we live pretty heavily is the material selection. And our, you're, you're putting a material in place that's going to be there for 50 or 100 years. Like, are you picking the right one? Are you picking the one that's not going to off-gas toxins into the employees for the next year? Uh, and then finally, the indoor air quality. Again, are you, are you going to provide them with proper ventilation, especially, you know, coming out of COVID now? It's a big thing of making sure these unventilated buildings can get fresh air in and then disperse things in, in a way um, you know, I, my first job out of college, when I took before I pivoted, I was in a one-story cinder block building. I shared an office. I had no windows. The acoustics were terrible. I was staring at a corkboard and my my weird little iMac at the time. It was the colored iMacs is what we had with the oh, mouse awesome. that didn't have buttons and stuff. Awesome. And I was like, yeah. God, I dreaded coming to work. You know, and then you go somewhere where you've got windows and fresh air and you don't hear everything. And it's like, you know, when you look at one of the big things they talk about in green building, it's it's productivity and saving money on your electric bill is good, but your number one expense of a company is your people. And if they're even a tiny bit more efficient at work, like that return is is humongous. And I can tell just from my own experience, like when I walked in there, I went from smiling to like, oh my God, here I am again in this office with no windows. I mean, it could have, it could have been storming out. I would have had no idea, right? It's like it was sunny when I went in, it was dark when I came out, and whatever happened in between. And so it, it gave me very first hand experience to really say that yes. I mean, I can I can tell you there's crap work environments and there's good ones. And you know, if you have a good, healthy one, it's it it should make you more. A, a little, a, just even that little tiny bit better at your job, or you're taking one less sick day because you just dread going in there, and you know that 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 is going to have a positive impact on the bottom line.
1: Like yellow light bulbs, brown cubicles, no natural light. This yeah, is what flickering, we need to you know, you see yeah. these things coming down, light, you've got. buzzing. So that does bring up a point, though, because I might not have thought that sustainability, or let's say certification or certified buildings, would also be aesthetically pleasing on a human level. Are those two things separate or is it generally the case that if a building is compliant, it will also be a better space to be in? Do they have to be
0: they don't connected. have to be. There can be – you know, you could have a really, really terribly ugly sustainable building. You know, you could make the argument that, hey, if we don't put any windows in, our air conditioning load is going to be a lot lower because we don't all have all that heat gain coming through. Let's not put any windows in. Um, That's what's going
1: to happen when AI is in control, by the way.
0: They're <laughs> right? going to make Let's that make kind me of in the most efficient building. All right, human, here's your building. <laughs> Here you go. Here's your um, rule. Eat your So swaps. I wouldn't say they're directly related, but I will say the things that are related to it are things like – making sure there's proper ventilation, making sure that you're not using, uh, putting in a bunch of furniture that's emitting formaldehyde. So there's a lot of things that, regardless of the the aesthetic of the building, there's just things you don't put into green buildings that go into things. If you're just picking stuff off the shelf at Home Depot, um, that'll have a, a better effect for the occupants of that building.
1: Makes sense. So if I have an older house or people who are living in something that's built 100 years ago, 70 years ago, what are some, aside from asbestos and those kinds of things, what are some of the things that they might have that they don't know that aren't super great aside from just leaking heat and you know, air conditioning out the window. Le-
0: leaking heat and air conditioning is a big one. If I was to do anything, I'd say go spray foam all of those homes and 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 stop that energy from literally just infiltrating out. Um, you know, it depends how long they've been in. A lot of times these things, when you put it in, if it's a hundred years old, if they had bad stuff, it has probably emitted its, you know, over the course of events. Something like asbestos or lead, those are two big ones that are not going to go away and those will be there until you remediate them. But I mean, it's even today, if you go to Home Depot and pick a can of paint, you know, you mentioned VOCs, VOC stands for volatile organic compound. The the quantity of those, those are all as they're benzene, toluene. There are all sorts of things that don't sound good to, to breathe. Um, and a can of paint will tell you exactly how much is in there and it'll show you a list. And there's, that number can be zero. If it's a good green paint, it can be 500. If it's a can of, spray paint or an oil-based paint and you know without knowing you're going to go in and slather this stuff on your walls and you'll be like i've got that new paint smell this is great it is not great it is not great you know you don't want that and so you know there's very few that have a big sticker that says hey this is the healthy option and so as a consumer for your house you're just trying to repaint your kid's bedroom right and you don't know and i can guarantee you when you walk into sharon williams they're not going to be like hey this is below Either VLC way. option. They're going to be like, what color do you want? And what's the most expensive paint I can sell you? So it's it, it's tough for the consumer. And that's why you know, if, if you're the developer and you can just do it, don't make the consumer think about it. Just give them the benefit of it. You know, Do it once. Don't make 200 apartment users try and figure out what paint they want. Just put in a healthy option to start with and call it a day.
1: Makes perfect sense. And you touched on earlier that when you've got a situation where there's a landlord or somebody's renting. A lot of times these things are seen as a cost that is unnecessary. And of course, if you own your own home and these are your values and you have the disposable income, yes, you can invest in solar panels and all of these things. So how does this make sense? How can we better sell this to landlords who want to do the bare minimum and collect the maximum check from their renters when it comes to all of this stuff?
0: Well, one uh, one word that's frequently used is regulations, right? So you see things like the city of New um, York and they impose... Out. They impose a, they impose yeah. a cost on on carbon emitted by a building. And so they said, look, if you emit over this and every building it has to benchmark how much carbon they generate, and if it's an excess, then they're paying a tax. And then they can figure out, is it cheaper for me to keep paying that or is it cheaper for me to go in and retrofit this building? So, you know, just to say people are gonna do another good of their heart is probably uh unrealistic. And yeah. where you start to see profound a more profound impact, it's you know the government stepping in, putting a regulation in place, and saying this is important. We want to protect these people's pocketbooks, and you need to do these for your buildings if you want to be able to continue to operate here.
1: Yep, which is always a popular line of questioning. Always popular. We, we like that, loves right? The, stick. the idea of go, taxing people go more. To the stick. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, of course, of course, that makes sense. So, how big of an issue is this really? Then, do you have any kind of stats or horrifying figures that? Talk about the amount of carbon emissions that we could be saving or that are emitted from buildings currently that aren't efficient.
0: Um, I don't have the breakout of, you know, what's considered efficient or not. So buildings make up, I think, about 30 percent of the total carbon emissions. So it's a it's a good chunk. Um, we focus a lot on new construction because it's it's easy. Right. You do it from the ground up and, and we can see that green construction is growing it's about, it's only about 40% of the market. So that sounds like a lot, but it's still a lot of new buildings are just barely meeting code and are just squeaking by. So there's a lot of buildings that still have room to go. Um, and that's just on the new construction side. There's a lot more existing buildings and existing homes, you know, mil- hundreds of millions of them that are out there. So, I mean, certainly we're trying to address the front end side of things to make sure everything we're putting in is as green as can be, but that does still leave, you know, this big, obstacle of all of these existing buildings that are owned by millions of people or rented by millions of people. And that's 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 going to be a much tougher nut to crack.
1: Sure. Do you think that the opportunity is more on the commercial side or the residential side for you and your business?
0: For us, it's on the commercial side, just because it tends to be a, a, a lot more players in that side of things versus uh, on the, we do a lot of multifamily, but not a lot of like low rise or single family. And that's that's just who our market has always been. So I think there is still opportunity on, this, on the residential side, on the single family side, there's obviously, you know, millions of, of homes that are getting built. The requirements are just a lot different than a, for a commercial building. So like what, what we, the solution we provide is just not adapted yet for that single family marketplace.
1: Got it. And with the small units that you have done in Savannah or that area, Have you been, what is the selling point then for the end consumer? Do you just say that it's efficient? Do you mention any of this stuff in the listing itself? Or is it just you might save money on your bill if you live here versus the apartment down the street?
0: So most of the residential that we personally did was affordable housing. And so you really had a a built-in audience that was just doing nothing but benefiting from the lower utility. Like talk about the people who need the lowest utility bills, those were the ones. And what happened was uh, we were able to demonstrate that, you, I mean, my gosh, if you can build green affordable housing, there's no excuse not to build anything green, right? Like we really wanted to use that as a demonstration that if you can do it where people are trying to build, you know, as, 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 as inexpensively as possible, and you can still do all of those great things like why is everybody not doing this? So for them, I mean, that was certainly part of the selling point because, you know, that that segment needs needs as much assistance as they can get. Certainly when we were leasing other space, there was the multiple attributes. The energy savings were typically the biggest one. And you know, most of those spaces were. Uh, the tenant was responsible for their utilities. And so you know they they know their operating margins coming in. They know what they do in their other stores across the country. And if we can do better than that, you know, that's that's straight to the bottom line. Um, and then a lot of it just came down to now what we see more of it's just company requirements. Like you've got to be able to have for us the lease from you, your space has to be green or your space has to be lead certified. And so as a developer, if you're not doing it now, you're at a competitive disadvantage. The the U.S. General Services Administration, they're the largest leaseholder of, of office space in the U.S. And they require that any building they go into has to be LEED certified. And so if you're not, they're just not gonna lease in your building. You're, you're not even up for consideration. And so, you know, is it worth the investment to make sure that you have that opportunity? I mean, part of our risk, our argument, or, you know, just rationale as we talk to people is is your opportunity cost, right? Like it you, you really doesn't cost much more of anything to go this route. What is the downside of doing it? Right. The downside of not doing it can be big. Yeah. You could not sign a lease. You could you could miss out on potential clients. What's going to happen if you do it? And what possibly negative could happen? Right. If you can do it for similar cost or at the same cost, and you just got to restructure it a little bit, a little bit. There's there's just not a there's not an argument to say no. We we shouldn't do that. I don't I don't want to be able to lease to as many entities as possible. I want to res- restrict who my customer base is because I don't want to do the certification. I mean, to me, yeah, that's a business decision you can make. I mean, I wouldn't make it, but mm. that you know, risk risk avoidance.
1: Yeah. And I love the idea the sneaky idea of having these practical reasons be how change gets done. I think it's just so much more brilliant than yelling. It's it, it works so much better. And you mentioned earlier, I mean, you've been doing this for decades you're in a place that is, let's say, not known for being progressive environmentally. And I'm just going to be very honest about this, probably demonstrating my own ignorance. But how is it to operate in this space? Or how has it been in Georgia in the state? Do you think things are changing where you are? Do you think that there's enormous opportunity where you are? Do you seek to go somewhere else? I'm just curious about how your geographic location plays into your own personal journey.
0: Sure. I think uh, you know, coming up through the development when we were when I was working for a developer, there was a lot more running our head into the wall. Like Savannah didn't have recycling when I moved here, and it was it took a lot of people lobbying just to get a curbside recycling for our house. Like it was just you threw everything away. It, it was terrible. And I, it, again, part of our argument was, you know, what is just the perception when people come vacation here? Are they going to look at you and see you throwing all this stuff away and be like? Why would I come back to this city? You know, maybe. What's the cost of getting this program going so people don't, or so that businesses don't want to relocate here? So I think we definitely fought through some of that. I think we've seen a lot of positive growth, you know, in the last decade where uh, the perception is, you know, it's not, it's not California, right? Uh, and it's certainly not gonna be, but it's it's definitely better than it was. And there's a lot of great initiatives going on at In the in the at the municipal levels to drive sustainability, Uh, even at the state level, they now have requirements of sustainability in all affordable housing. So I mean, you've seen a ripple effect where it's not just one development in Savannah; now it's everything going up in Georgia is incorporating sustainability. So that's awesome. uh, If if anything, it goes back to how we started talking. It's it's really helped me figure out how 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 important messaging is, right? And to not just. Stand on the mountaintop so, and right. yell because that's what I believe. But, you know, be flexible, so adapt right. to the market and the uh, audience you have because you can get the same result, right? I don't have to convince right. you that the sea level rising. I just need to convince you that you like saving money on a utility bill right. and you don't want to die of inhaling chemicals from paint. And if you can agree <laughs> on those, we get to the same result, right? And it, <laughs> it's, a, know, big it's anyway. a big <laughs> if. It's a big if.
1: But that's, it's so brilliant. And I've often had this question. Have you ever seen the movie? It was on Apple TV called The Banker. I don't know if you've watched this. It was such a fascinating tale mm-hmm. of, a, of a black mm-hmm. entrepreneur in California. And he, through incredible ingenuity, rises through the rank, He becomes wealthy in the state of California doing uh, real estate, basically. Just buying up buildings and selling. And, and he builds a little mini empire. It's, it's fascinating. And then at some point he decides that he's going to go to Texas. And he says, I'm going to go to Texas because there's even more opportunity there of course, kind of ignoring the fact that the climate was very, very different. And it ends up getting him put in jail. It ends up falling apart for him. And part of me watched that movie and it just thought, why did you go to Texas, man? And again, this is just me being very honest, because if he had stayed in California, he probably would have never gone to jail. and All of these things would have worked out for him and he would have just stayed a rich person. So I'm always kind of torn between the idea of can you get more done in an environment that is historically more hostile to your ideas, or can you get more done in an environment that is more sympathetic? And I I think that I can imagine an argument on both sides, because again, I'm glad that there's somebody out there that's petitioning for recycling, for example. Somebody had to do that at great effort and expense. Without that person, it never would have happened. So how do you feel about that dilemma? Is it a dilemma?
0: It is what because you think, hey, where do I wanna be? Like where do I wanna base my company? Where do I wanna put right. my people? And do I wanna be, you know, somewhere that is that fits those values or somewhere where, where it may or may not? Um, That's one side of the coin. The other side is, you know, I'm not uh, I won't proclaim to be the the, the smartest person in the world and I love copying other people's good ideas. So what I what I love doing is sitting here where they might not have adopted things and going to go into New York and Portland and, and San Fran and some of these other areas and gleaning those good ideas and seeing has it worked and where else has it worked and is that something i can bring home with me you know and i do that from my product i do that for me personally for you know my own health and best practices and it's uh it can be even if you're in an an area that might be slightly resistant it you know you're you're not on the bleeding edge of it if you can bring solutions that have been tried and true and maybe people just needed to have some light shed on it and they'll realize hey that is something we could do that's not not too crazy so Again, yeah, I can see both sides of the argument, but I will say for a fact, it has allowed me to uh, learn great ideas that other people are doing around the country and see, does that make sense for my home community?
1: I completely, completely understand that. And, you know, I'm at an age, I have a four-year-old daughter. I have a wife. Obviously, we live in California, one of the most expensive places there is. And of course, it's very tempting because a lot of other places in the United States are just vastly cheaper. When I can get a home here for $2 million and that same home is $200,000 in many, many, many parts of the country. Those kinds of thoughts always weigh on you of, you know, yes, I love it, but is it worth it? Or could I do more if I just, instead of putting a down payment on a house here, just paid cash for a house somewhere else? Maybe in Georgia, maybe Tulsa, Oklahoma, who knows where? Um, Could you do more good? And I, I think, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, being on the forefront is good. Being in an untapped market is good. As a person, if you're constantly going against resistance every step of your life, that's probably mentally not so good.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, that makes it tough. I mean, we we chose to just let people figure that out on their own. So we're 100% remote. And we said, look, I mean, that's a personal decision for, for any individual to make. And yeah. Uh, we we want to just say look figure it out for yourself and i hear you you know when we look at other areas every time i go visit california i'm like this is great and then i go open up a uh, zillow and i'm like ooh
1: <laughs> i don't want to go
0: back to a one bedroom apartment i like my house and my yard and my garage and all down. that stuff
1: my dad was just out here and he looked at his house he's like hey, that's a cute little house what do you think that is 400 500,000 i was like hmm, try 2.4 <laughs> million dad That's pretty much table stakes in my area. Uh, Is it worth it for the sunshine? I honestly don't know. I love it, but it's a a drug. Hotel California has more meaning for me as a song than it ever did previously. I'll put it to you that way. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. I mean, wow, that hits my heart now. (laughs) But maybe I'm just blind, I don't know. Um, But it's a fascinating subject and I love your approach. So how many years have you been doing Green Badger now?
0: Greenback. I mean, concept, we started conceptually in 2014, really first in the market in 2016 was our first,
1: first a decade uh,
0: paying customers.
1: Okay. Uh, For you personally, do you think that this is something that you'll continue for indefinitely? Do you think that you might pivot to something else or sell this business? Where do you see it now?
0: I mean, right now there's still just so much more opportunity, right? And for me, yes we want to make a bunch of money but we think you know i personally believe sustainability is super important and the barriers to sustainability is that it's difficult and that's expensive and so green badger is built to to solve both of those issues so
1: yeah.
0: as a company we are trying to break down the barrier so that yeah i don't have to tell you that 40 percent of construction is green all of it is 100 percent of it is the whole bar has been elevated and you know that's that's part of my mission so we're, we're, there's still a lot of work to be done so we've got a lot of opportunity And I've got to put a lot more thought into that existing building marketplace because, as as we just talked about, there's so many more old buildings out there. And if we can figure out how to crack that nut, A, it's going to be a windfall, and B, that's really going to have a a profound impact on on the environment as well. So I think I've got a lot of work to do.
1: Yeah. Well, if anybody's poised to do it, it seems like you are. So I look forward to hearing about that solution in a few years. If you want to convince my landlord to put in solar panels, feel free. Uh, I'm open to your ideas. Uh, so what do you think the difference is between having a mission and having a career? How has that impacted your life?
0: I've been fortunate, right? Like if you start your own company and it can support your mission and your life, you're in a good spot. It's It, it can be difficult when you've got to go buy into somebody else's mission and you're put... Maybe put your personal beliefs on pause, and you know maybe you go and you're working in a ten thousand person organization, and you have zero, zero say or influence, and that's you know I don't know if I if I sold Green Badger or exited, and you know, I don't know that I could go work in that environment again. I'd have to think long and hard about what those opportunities would be. So you know I've been I've been lucky that for the last. Fifteen years, I've been able to even even my time at the development company. Though they espouse my my beliefs as well, so I've been able to live my mission through my professional life. Um, so I, I consider myself fortunate, and I try and uh, give that opportunity to our employees. I think every one of of my Green Badger teammates would feel the same way. I think part of the reason they they wanted to work for Green Badger is that. You know, they drank that same Kool-Aid that I drank, and they want to work for a company that matches their beliefs, and you know, and that supports them and and what they want to work towards, and that we're all working towards a greater good, but being able to live the live the type of life we wanted to. So, I think uh, for for me, it was so far the two are the two are aligned, and we try and make that opportunity for all our teams.
1: How cool is that? Do you think that caring about these issues? and professionally caring, working towards solving them. Do you think that that's a luxury or is that something that everybody can do?
0: Uh, I've seen a lot of, (laughs) a lot of bad corporate culture. So I would say it's, it it might be a little bit of a luxury. I mean, I think the upside is that, I mean, everybody's got their own passion, right? So they, it just takes that opportunity to find, I will say that it's, you know, it can be tough if your passion takes you to the only company that's doing it is based out of Nova Scotia and you don't want to go move to Nova Scotia. Like, what can you do? <laughs> what can you do? So I think that I, I, I would say I'd, I'd consider it personally a bit of a luxury, but I wouldn't say it's an anomaly and I wouldn't say that there's zero opportunity. I think a lot of people, you know, you get stuck in the, stuck in your job and your career and it, it's, a, it's always a challenge to change and pivot and go to a new position. And there's perhaps lack of security and there's a lot of unknown and it's it's safe to stay and do what you've always been doing and, and that might prohibit some people from pursuing that um, but it's I wouldn't say it's you know not it's not a, a rare option. It's
1: not a rare option yeah because I know that there are certainly some people who say, hey you're caring about this global issue that's a luxury that's a privilege. all I can afford to care about is paying my bills this month. So however that happens, whatever corporation, whatever job, whatever industry, whatever mission I'm a part of, that's all that matters. Um, Do you agree with that or do you think that there are ways around that mindset, that it's more of a mindset than a real I mean, I'm
0: not a psychologist or an anthropologist, so I'll I'll punt a little (laughs) bit. But I will say, look, if my kid wants to go work a minimum wage job, they could go work at REI or Whole Foods or somewhere, or they could go work at, you know, Exxon, mobile, pumping gas, right? That's yeah. a decision of, of what values do they support? And that's an opportunity for a minimum wage kid 16. She's not quite 16 yet, but they can, they can make that decision. So, I mean, maybe it's not the same as, as somebody, you know, in a smaller company where we're like extremely focused. Cause obviously if you're working at REI or Whole Foods, bagging groceries, maybe you're not having like the hands-on impact of saving the world, but you're, you're working on that mission and you're contributing to that mission. And if that mission's aligned with your personal mission, yeah, you you can, you can make that choice.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And I I also feel that I think some people feel like they just take what they can get, but I also feel like a lot of people don't choose to follow the path either. I think there's a little bit of both. I think some people are stuck and other people just need a little nudge. Some people need a little nudge and they need an inspiration from a story like yours. That's the premise of my show is to try to say, hey, look, you can do this and you don't have to condemn yourself to a life of poverty. You can also make a business, you can succeed, you can be happy, you can thrive, and you can also solve these issues. I mean, that's the fundamental premise that we're trying to find here. And that's what makes your story so interesting to me. I mean, that's the exact lane that I care about. So can you take care of your life and can you also do something to help this situation that we see but maybe not everybody sees
0: yeah and, I, and hopefully i mean if we can serve as inspiration for one person i consider you know consider this a win i just it's, it'd be really tough to think that i'm going to work for eight hours a day five days a week and like not have some semblance of 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 having a personal connection to that mission and i'm sure that is unfortunately the case for a number of people but i would say you know let's you should try and take that opportunity and find where you can get better alignment because it'll make those eight hours a lot better for you coming in monday through friday here
1: so do you think for the younger generation, people who haven't yet started their career, it makes more sense to go to school for some of these topics or to just get aligned with a business that they believe in? What do you think the first step should be for somebody who cares about the planet, wants to do good, but isn't quite sure how, and they're at the very, very beginning of their career?
0: That's that's the tough one, right? Because you go to everyone and it's like, okay, I need somebody who's passionate and I need somebody who's willing to work hard and I need somebody with five years experience doing it. It's right. Like, oh. Thing. You know, uh, you're, you're out before you start, and yeah, you know, sure. stuff. We're even, we're starting to think about our kid in college, and to me, it still just boggles my mind that they tell you at 18 to go pick what you want to do for your career and and major in that in college. Like it's so difficult. I started in engineering before quickly pivoting to business. Like I had no idea. It's like you're good at math, you should go into engineering, and you know that that wouldn't have been a, a great fit. And but it took me getting there and, and figuring it out. And it's really tough at 18 to know what to go after and and have your life sorted out. So um, I think the upside of today is that there's a lot more and specific to sustainability. I mean, there's a lot more interest in it from the younger generation. You know, it was not taught in high school. When I went to high school, it was barely in college. As we said, the word didn't even exist in the early 2000s. Um, but there's a lot more organizations doing it. So there's a lot more jobs that are that are out there when I when I graduated there weren't weren't a ton of jobs in sustainability and now you know when you look through a LinkedIn feed there's there's a whole bunch and any fortune 500 company has a sustainability team you see smaller companies having it you see just uh, a lot more companies that are aligned behind it and I think you know I, I don't have the answer for how do the kids get into it but I think that they are uh, certainly have a lot more opportunities today and they're going to con- continue to see more, and it's going to be a growing, a growing market segment for them. Sure. Well, I'll put
1: it another way. Do you think that your education helped you, or was it unnecessary to your own personal success?
0: I think it definitely helped me because, you know, in my master's program, just giving me the the sound fundamental understanding from both a public policy perspective and a science perspective. Back to back to how you message that. I mean, one of the reasons that program chose into. The interdisciplinary approach is you have scientists speaking science stuff you have policy wonks speaking policy stuff and they have a hard time communicating to each other and so just going through and getting exposure to that with that sort of reference again looking back to this whole conversation we had of changing the messaging around this um helped set me out for success now does every institution teach that and you know was that necessarily what they thought the intended outcome was you know maybe not yeah. but um uh, it's, it it helps set me up for success that makes that's it. i think you could get a business you could get a background in in anything and if you know figure out the company you don't have to be a sustainability expert to work in sustainability there's plenty of you know cfo's and accountants and administrative and marketing people and all these other people Our latest our last hire um, from marketing, didn't have any experience working for sustainability, but she was passionate about it. And she, you know, thought the mission was aligned with her personally. And can she figure out how to how to message that? Yeah, right. So it doesn't, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the sustainability world without having to say, I got a, a master's of sustainability or a degree in it. It's, you know, aligning yourself with the companies that are doing that type of stuff, whatever your function might be.
1: Well, definitely the most powerful takeaway from our conversation, for me personally, is the concept of messaging. And I do intuitively believe that there is a way that these ideas can be packaged that will receive almost universal love. And there's a way that will receive a lot of hate. And I think doing it in the right way is so important. And maybe what schooling taught you is... Maybe it gave you some background onto this conversation or this ongoing debate or some history that gives you some context. Because I think if you go on your own without any context, You'll figure these things out, but it might be very slow and, and very hard fought. I'm figuring things out. I'll post something about a certain topic about lab-grown meat, and then I'll get a boatload of, of hate because nobody wants to hear about that, or I'll, I'll have somebody who's a vegan and we'll say, oh, a boatload of hate. So it's just interesting which topics and messaging triggers people and which doesn't, and which stuff uh, slides through and everybody loves, like people love survivalism or like the idea of living off the grid is appealing to almost anybody. Lowering bills is appealing to almost anybody. But when you talk about trying to sell it another way, it's very off putting to a large percentage of the population. So maybe doing that in your schooling, you learned, okay, this is what has not worked. This is what has worked. How can I be a few steps further ahead so that I don't have to repeat the same mistakes that somebody else made 50 years ago when the real, real, real foundation of some of these movements began. You think that's accurate?
0: It could have been. It could have been. I mean, I uh, told you With the, I, I love copying good ideas. So if There's <laughs> ways to not have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, yeah. By all means, I will, I will yeah. take that approach all day long. Yep.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, I think it's a, it's been an absolute a pleasure to chat with you. So I guess I'll leave it to you for some parting wisdom here. Any general parting wisdom? The floor is yours
0: any general parting wisdom, man, I, my kids would tell you I've got none. Um, yeah. at least Maybe we should uh, get least, your
1: kids on <laughs>
0: <laughs> at least from their perspective. But I don't know. My, my parting wisdom is, is what we've talked about of follow your passion and find those opportunities. Cause I can, you know, they might, they might not exist for everybody, but I think if you look hard enough, you can align those two. And and for, for me, from what I see, if you can find that alignment, it just makes, you know, you don't want going to work to just be work, right? If you can go to work and it's something you believe in, that's just, that's going to set you up for for a, a much better uh, balance in life. So I'd say look look for those opportunities, align yourselves with, with organizations you believe in, and you'll probably, probably have a better nine to five every day.
1: That's right. Or at the very least, you can improve your IAQ, your OAC. And you can make sure that you're compliant with ESC standards. Uh, and you can LOL. only choose to live in an LED certified building, which now we know what all of that means. So it's been there an absolute go. pleasure, sir. Uh, I very much appreciate you taking the time. And oh, and where can they find you, by the way? Where can they find and support your mission?
0: Uh, best place to go is getgreenbadger.com. And you can find Green Badger on all the usur- usual socials.
1: Alrighty. Sounds good. And with that, the official podcast is over. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Off and Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, it would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you'd leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time.